Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Centro de Ozil. Tras un extraordinario, espectacular centro de Mesudo Zil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Um, I don't have to ask how you are because we didn't win, so that means nothing bad has happened to you. I'm fine, perfectly fine, yeah. All good with me. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, good. Good weekend. Well, yeah, football aside, not too bad at all. Went to see James Bond last night. How bad was it not on a man, scale? The, f- the film. Uh, on a scale of one to, like, absolute shit, how bad was it? I mean, it's mental, obviously. I don't know if anyone's sort of, like, watching it with that in mind, how unrealistic it is, but if you are, if you're someone who's bothered by logic, you will struggle to enjoy this film. Mm. If you just like a man in a suit, going around telling everyone who he is, despite supposedly being incognito, then you'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much about it that's mind-blowing when you step back from it. Mm. it. His choice of attire, mental at all times, so impractical. You know, if you're going to fight someone on a train, maybe some sort of, you know, cat suit or something. Or, or dare, dare I say it, some, uh, some McNicholas-style uh, tracksuit bottoms would give you the freedom to, I mean, look, to do those kicks. Thank you. I mean, this is, this is where I'm coming from. Mm. Um, but anyway, he's, he's the worst spy ever. But other than that, <laughs> it's, it's quite a laugh, yeah. What about you? Good weekend? Yeah, not, nothing, nothing too uh, hectic or strange or startling, to be perfectly honest. Um, didn't do an awful lot, sat around waiting for the Arsenal-Tottenham game, hoped for better things from Saturday, you know, from the football that we got, but uh, it's it's proving to be quite a tight Premier League this season, is it not? Yeah, did, did you watch the Chelsea game? I did. I did. I was, was in the pub. That was wasn't yeah. it? Did you, did you find yourself cheering a Stoke goal? What was that like? Yeah, I kind of did, yeah. As did most of the people in the pub. I was in the pub Saturday evening having a couple of pints with my dad. And, uh, and um, yeah, everyone in the, in the bar wanted Stoke to win. But there was a sense that, oh, well, God, this is kind of also a bit dirty, like wanting Stoke to win. But it's very much the enemy of my enemy sort of thing, wasn't it? And the angry man on the sidelines for Chelsea, they were very amusing. John Terry's face at the end, very amusing. And the thing about it is I, I can switch off immediately afterwards and go, look, I don't, I don't need to watch Ryan Shawcross be happy. I can just be happy that Chelsea are unhappy, you see? So it was another great, another yeah. great weekend for Chelsea. Uh, I'm, I'm, thoroughly enjoying, I'm thoroughly enjoying all of it. Long may it last. This is like a TV show, a TV series that you never want to end. At some point, you're going to feel, oh, we're in the final season of this and, you know, the finale will come and Chelsea will actually win a game at some point. But for the moment, I just don't want it to end. I couldn't agree more. Let Mm. let it carry on. Let it drag out for as long as possible. (laughs) Like Lost did. Yeah, I never watched Lost, I have to say. I got... got, um, I just never got into it or never, got, never started it. And then by the time it ended, I was really glad about that because I believe the ending of it was atrocious and, you know, they had no idea what they were doing. They just made something crazy. Yeah, they, crazy. Dr- they dragged me along for the, 
for the ride. Right. It's not necessarily a fun one. No, no, it's but always I'd, terrible. I've come that far. Yeah, you, know you, can, I mean? yeah, you can't give up, can you? And then you feel cheated, no. and then you realise it's actually just a TV programme. I shouldn't get so angry. All along, that was the that was the reveal at the end. Spoiler alert, guys! <laughs> the last episode, they go, "Oh my god, this whole thing was just a TV show." Everyone turn to um, face the camera. Aha! Yeah, yeah. The director comes out in front of the camera and yells, "Cut!" And you're like, "Oh shit, that's what it was." Oh no, I should have realised oh. it was on in oh, an no, episodic were... fashion every week, like that's a TV yeah, and show. Apparently, if you if you watch it back, there are clues all the way through that it is a TV show. Yeah, full of actors. Credits and stuff like that. Yeah. Advert breaks. Fuck. I can't believe I, th- I thought it was real. <laughs> so look. There you go. So look. We had a North London derby yesterday, and, and many of us going into the game were hopeful that we could do something to Tottenham like we did to Manchester United. As it turns out, we couldn't do that at all. Um, a very no, jaded, not even close. <laughs> not even close. A very jaded performance. One I think that perhaps was was coming in the sense that this is a squad that is or has been stretched to its limits. There's no rotation. There's no keeping players fresh. And ultimately, I think that was uh, apparent in the performance yesterday. Yeah, yeah. They they didn't. I mean. We got the equaliser in the end, but I I really didn't feel like it was coming particularly at any point. You we know, did have chances, we, though. We had loads of chances. Giroud had lo- lots of chances. Set to pieces. Score. We looked great on set pieces, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and have done for a few weeks it. now, yeah. Yeah, that's been a bit of a consistent trend. But I, I don't know. I, I We looked very leggy, I think, almost from the almost from the first five minutes or so. Mm. Um we don't really know what was wrong with Santi Cazorla still, do we? No. But his I, performance I, kind of typified the team. Yeah, he was he was clearly unwell. He was unwell before kickoff. I was told that he was physically ill at, at halftime. Um, right. Something like a, a temporary bug, perhaps, perhaps, dare I say it, a bit of uh, espionage went on there. It's Santi's lasagna, Santi's... Santi's dinner was spiked by some kind of Tottenham supporting waiter or waitress. Yeah, and he was, he was, yeah, he was, he was unwell, and you could see that from from the very start that that he was unwell. But but aside from that, the team itself didn't really impose itself on the game in the early stages because what you were looking for was for Arsenal to come out, and even if we didn't do an awful lot with the ball, to at least get on top of the game and boss the possession. But in the very early stages, the first four or five minutes, um, there was an end-to-end sort of quality to the game, but Tottenham had a lot more of the ball, and that was surprising to me. We couldn't really, we couldn't really do to them what they were doing to us in terms of a, in terms of a press. No, and some of those Spurs players had played Monday and Thursday, you know. But I think so. You're saying they're on drugs. <laughs> well, look, that's that's for that's for the listeners to decide. Okay, but um, I yeah, they are. But I think um, <laughs> what that what that does show probably is that they've benefited a bit more from rotation over the previous few weeks. Whereas because of our injury situation, some of these players have just been played into the ground. I mean, is that entirely because of the injury situation, or do you think Arsenal's Overdone it with one or two of them, you know. So, kind of Alexis, has he played too many minutes? Yeah, who, do you think he should have? Who do you play instead? Well, realistically, that's the question, isn't it? I don't have no idea. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Kieran I mean, Gibbs, apparently, it turns out he's brilliant <laughs> on the wing. But I mean, that's it. I mean, if it's it's easy in hindsight or now to say, well, Arsene Wenger should have given him more rest. But then, a, who do you play? And if, for example, he chose Kieran Gibbs in a game and we didn't win the game. 
people will be going, what the fuck are you playing a left back at left wing for, you daft man? You know, that's that's mm. there's a sort of a no-win element to it there. But it, do, it does come back, I think, to the injuries and something we discussed, you know, in, in the past, that, that the amount of players that we have out and the players particularly that we have out are ones that can make a difference in the attacking third. So, you know, it's okay if you want to rest Alexis for Danny Welbeck, for example, or even Thomas Rosicki, or even um, uh, Jack Wilshire. You know, Theo Walcott, these are guys that you could realistically rest Alexis for. But at the moment, we, mm. we, can't, we can't play Gibbs there from the start just because Alexis needs a rest, really. Uh, nor can we play somebody like Alex Iwobi or, or the Jeff. You know, they're, they're far from ready for first-team action. So I think the impact of the injury situation is playing itself out over the, over the squad. My hope is that when players come back from injury and uh, after the international break, which isn't going to make Alexis any less tired, that we do have the opportunity to rest him in a couple of games where perhaps you might think, OK, we could probably cope without him from, from the start. You know, we've got West Brom, I think, is it? Um, That's the first game back away, yeah. Yeah, then there's Dinamo Zagreb at home, obviously not taking anything anything for granted there, you know, uh, and then I think it's Norwich. So, uh, and then Sunderland. So you're looking at a couple of those games where you don't really have to play him into the ground and hopefully he can he can regain a bit of... Um, a bit of his, uh, not fitness, but freshness and, and zip and energy that's that's clearly not been there. Mm, mm. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, he, he he looks, I don't know, it's strange. He had that little burst, didn't he, a few weeks ago where he sort mm. of sprung into life and scored plenty of goals in quick succession, but he's he's fallen away a little bit again mm. since then. Yeah. Um, bit of a concern. Yeah. I, I, do you know what? I, go I, on. I, go on. No, 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 you go. Oh, what I was going to say was that I saw, I, I was watching the game last night and it did strike me that it seems that he, well, as much as he does look fatigued, it, he performs slightly worse, I think, alongside Olivier Giroud than he does with Theo Walcott. I just feel like it suits him slightly less, which is somewhat mm. surprising. And then I saw Tim Stillman on Twitter said that I think in the last four games, Alexis and Giroud have played together. Alexis hasn't managed a shot on target. Now, obviously... That that could be pure coincidence, that statistic. But I do wonder if there's something about the space that Walcott generates with his movement and the fact that he pulls outside and Alexis drifts infield that maybe makes him a little bit more dangerous and brings slightly more out of him. Yeah, perhaps, because I think Giroud tends to stay fairly central. Uh, there were yeah. times yesterday when he cropped up on the on the the right hand side a couple of times, but for the most part he tends to stay central as a focal point for the attack. So yeah, I mean it could well be a case that Walcott, with his crazy, not quite sure what he's doing, movement, but bringing defenders mm. with him, um, you know, does does allow Alexis to to come into that um, central area where he does score um, a lot of goals, you know, from inside the box and outside the box. So I don't know. I mean, yeah. it would be a little bit of a worry if there is a, a huge incompatibility between them. But at the same time, you know, Giroud yesterday was a guy who could have had two or three goals. So uh, I don't know whether his effectiveness you, uh, comes I, at the expense of, of Alexis. I'm not quite sure. What do you put his misses down to? Just sort of uh, misfortune or, you know, was that one of those sort of Monaco nights where his confidence went? Or I don't think it was like the Monaco one in, in that his confidence didn't go. If you look at one header, just, I mean, it was literally um, millimetres past the post 
That was the one that he yeah. really should have scored. That was the one that should have gone in. And you're 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 talking a margin of inches. He should score from there, but it was it was inches wide. I think he was trying to plant it right in the bottom corner to give the keeper no chance. Just overcooked it a little bit. There was same with the header from the one that hit the bar. I wonder was his um was his shirt pulled. I thought his shirt was being pulled it as he went to, to, to get like, like that. Yeah, which is normal in the area. And I think as a striker, you have to cope with that. But again, you're talking what? Two inches, three inches between a goal and, and hitting the top of the crossbar. So um, he was a little off, but yeah. Look, seven goals in his seven games before that. He's been he's been in excellent form. I think, I, did we speak about it before? Maybe that... Um, he tends to be at his most effective when he's when he's fresh. And when he has to play mm. a series of games, when he has to play week in, week out, when he has to be that focal point in the attack, when he's up against two big central defenders, um, and he did have his uh, he did have his moments with uh, Vertonghen yesterday. Do you see that? Vertonghen, yeah. Vertonghen grabbing his Mickey. I yeah. mean, <laughs> what's going on there? Strange. Come on. Look, yeah. you know. I mean, he's a handsome man. I could understand it to an extent. Sure. I mean, what, perhaps he was just sort of feeling out um, to uh, to uh, mask his own insecurities there. Maybe he's thinking, this Giroud is so handsome, he's bound to have a really small winkle. And then he got a hold yeah. of it and went, oh, God, it's actually quite much bigger than I thought. And anyone who has seen, <laughs> anyone who's seen that gif... You know the one in the dressing room? Have you seen that one? Of course I have. Yes. Of course I have. Heli, Heli, helicopter. Um, so I, I'd say Vertonghen retreated into a shell then after getting a hold of, uh, of Giroud's private parts. But anyway, what were we talking about? I think we've gone off track <laughs> I here. I don't know. It's hard to go back to it, wherever it was. It is. Um, but look, no. Oh, yes. I'm just saying that, that um, he's usually at his most effective when he's fresh. And maybe there was just a touch of tiredness, a touch of uh, touch of fatigue to his game yesterday, and that that manifested itself in the in the finishing that wasn't quite right, you know. So I think this is the benefit of having Walcott fit, is that it allows you a to rotate your 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 forwards to keep them both fresh, and, and that then gets gets the best out of them, you know. Mm. So I and think what, there was an an, el- an element of that yesterday. So how much, to what extent was this down to Arsenal? playing poorly and to what extent and I, I hesitate to say it was it down to Spurs playing well well they did play quite well but obviously uh, as Arsene Wenger said when you're playing in a first half against Tottenham with with a Santi Cazorla who was at 30% of his potential and I think 30% was um, was being generous you know that, that really mm. has an impact essentially you're playing with 10 men and right in the heart of midfield I think is where Tottenham had a lot of joy, you know. They were strong in there. They were quick. They were dynamic. They they passed it around well. They kind of bossed us in that central area, and we we weren't able to cope with that. And I think that obviously had an impact on the way that the the flow of the game went. Uh, they did play well, you know. Um, we played badly. They played well. I don't know what way you you'd sum it up uh, each way. Whether it was more of one than the other, but that's uh, it comes right down to it. I mean, they they played well and still didn't beat us, the cons. Um, yeah. And look, I think as well that there's a, there's an element of an element of after the game, people say, well, they were ever so good, they did this, that, and the other, and then you look at the stats and you think, well, actually, actually, it's not that great, you know. They were all talking about um, uh, what's his name, Deli Ali. Deli Ali, yeah. that's a silly name, but anyway, uh, he got man of the match. He got man of the right. match, and uh, a guy okay. on Twitter. Uh, 
at JackLou89 uh, broke down the stats. So uh, assists, Mesut Ozil 1, Ali none. Chances created, Ozil 7, Ali none. Tackles 1, Ozil 2, Ali 1. Pass accuracy, Ozil 81%, Ali 67%. So I think that, you know, very often the, 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 the way people perceive a game is what the, what the broadcasters have told you has happened, whether or not that's actually true or not. You know, so they did play well. We didn't play that well. But at the same time, fuck them. That's my considered yeah. uh, analysis of that. And we dug the goal out. What is that six consecutive Premier League games with assists for Ozil now? It certainly is. It's a new record. It's a new record. And I saw people, I think Jamie Carragher in particular on Twitter was saying, well, yeah, you know, the, the chances created stat is like, yeah, but those are set pieces. Well, hang on. It's mm. not as if like you just fucking push a button. You see, you still have to deliver the ball well. There's a skill to it, you know. So. I mean, you can just press triangle, I think, isn't it? It's like L1 and triangle or something like that. That's, That's through, through ball, ball isn't That's it? through ball. You yeah, don't yeah. do through ball from a corner. Oh, I see. Right, yeah, no, there's that's different. Is that circle? Yeah. I, I get confused. <laughs> it's circle, I think, yeah. Yeah. Depends right. on what but way anyway, you have the buttons, I, you know. It depends. You can configure it different ways, can't you? Mm. But he... Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, he, he wasn't hugely involved in the game as well, but it was a brilliant pass, I thought, for the goal. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the way Lloris sort of like, uh, he, sort of he sort of spread himself too much, that sounds wrong, but he sort of threw his body in the air like he expected Gibbs to make really good contact on the ball. Yeah. Very naive. A man who's never seen Kieran Gibbs have a shot. <laughs> Hang on now, in fairness, I think Gibbs scored a cracking goal against, was it against Swansea? Flying volley kind of a thing? Am I wrong there? Oh, yeah, I've got a vague recollection of that. That was a great goal, I think. Uh, and perhaps if he had made good extent. contact with it, it wouldn't have been a goal. Very true. It was an artful little little sort of scuff. And it was, look, there's no complaints from me. Mm. I quite like goals that sort of, you know, occasionally it's quite fun to score a goal that sort of isn't doesn't really hit the back of the net and is a bit sort of scrappy because you get to see all the Spurs defenders like appeal like desperately forlornly hoping that it's going to be overturned yeah but no yeah no I, I like that moment um, in the replays where you're kind of looking at it going oh he's missed it oh it's gone in and you can see Gibbs face and he's looking at it and he's going oh fuck I haven't really hit that well and then he's like what? yes and it's gone yeah. in I really I really enjoy that Flamini's uh, reaction to it was fantastic as well uh, yeah, Flamini. There's, there's, there's a, a great, great photo yeah. of, uh, from inside the goal of Flamini seeing. And of course, Flamini's he's there, isn't he? Three yards out, the poacher <laughs> looking for another goal against Spurs. Gerd Muller himself. I think I saw a stat today that Matthew Flamini is unbeaten in games at the Emirates Stadium. Well, I think I think uh, that tells you everything you need to know about our team selection for the rest of the season. Yeah. You yeah, know? there you go. Just, mm. You've got to play him every game. What about uh, Mesut Ozil, though? Let's let's ch chat a little bit about him because very often when Arsenal have played well, Ozil plays well. But if Arsenal have struggled, Ozil has also had problems imposing himself on the game. And yesterday was a day when we didn't play well generally. Last 15 minutes, I thought, you know, obviously with the goal, we were buoyed and the momentum changed and was with us. But what about Ozil contributing and making that impact despite the fact that the team didn't play well? I mean, that's what you want, isn't it, for a guy of his calibre to step up and get you something from a game like this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... And that's a big change, I think. You know, we've talked about this in the past, but 
I think that's an area where he really struggled. His performances were kind of symptomatic of Arsenal's general performances. But as you say, nothing really clicked yesterday. And yet he was, a, a, you know, even even at times where, he, you know, like Jamie Carragher says, he didn't seem to be in the game that much. He was still delivering chances for other players. You know, his set-piece delivery was very good. His movement was dangerous. He was inventive. He had ideas. He was involved in everything that was good that we did do, limited though that was. And crucially, contribution uh, with the assist. I mean, you know, it's. I saw someone yesterday on Twitter saying, another pundit saying, oh, no one cared about assists until the early 90s when fantasy football came in. And I'm like, well, maybe not, but they were naive and stupid not to. I mean, he's literally laying on goals for other people now. Yeah, but no, nobody, nobody cared about seatbelts until they fucking figured out that they're good for you, you know? Exactly, exactly, you know. It's like when they were telling you everyone smoke in the 60s, you know, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just because something was a certain way in the past doesn't necessarily make that right. And Ozil, I mean, he's so important to this team at the moment. And I think, I can't see a, a better player in the Premier League on form I have to be honest looking looking up and down the division I mean Jamie Vardy maybe but in terms of the sort of sheer individual contribution that he's making mm. it's, all, it's almost unparalleled so I think we're very lucky to have him Yeah yeah. the creativity is something uh, that you re- obviously really need in any team but the fact that he's doing it and he's doing it on a really consistent basis um, you know that was that was a a charge that was leveled at him that he wasn't consistent enough that he didn't do it in big games that he didn't do it uh, he wasn't there like a force of nature people want a 42 and a half million pound player almost to be like a Ronaldo like a Messi a guy who can who can get you something when 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 everything else isn't quite happening and maybe we're starting to see signs of that yeah I think you know while some of those charges were unfair some were justified and I think he has answered a lot of them with his form this season. Mm. What about the goal we conceded? Um, Lauren Koscielny, bad decision from him? Or? Yeah, frustrating, wasn't it? I mean, not, not, I mean, a very different scenario, but not the similar miscommunication to the one in midweek with Robert Lewandowski, was it? You know, one, one stayed, one went kind of thing. Um, and we got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's frustrating because it was a very simple goal to concede, wasn't it? Just a long ball. Yeah. Sort of in behind, you, you know, you, should be better than that, really. But yeah, when, when um, you're when you're making Danny Rose look like um, you know someone who can actually play football, there's something gone wrong. Or something, yeah, yeah. Uh, something's gone wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, who do you apportion blame to out of that one? Is it is it Koscielny for? I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it, he should have one more up. fault than the other. Yeah, I don't think he should have stepped yeah. up. To be honest, he should have just stayed with the man. Um, but you know, yeah. I think that's that's where the, the the main issue was for me. I thought Kane got a bit lucky with the finish as well. There's no way he meant to bobble that into the ground and over Czech's leg. I mean, it just skimmed the top of Petr Czech's leg. Uh, I think he miskicked it and got lucky. Do you think Czech sort of went the the wrong way slightly? I thought no. it was a bit odd that he sort of fell to his near post because I don't know. It seemed obvious to me Kane was going to open his body out in that way. But mm. I guess he was looking to blame. Yeah, I think he was Go looking on. at it. I think he was looking at. And him maybe just tucking it in at the near post and then using his legs to, to make the save if he went the other way. And yeah. bar the, the little bobble, I think he might have saved it, to be honest. I mean, he did make some important saves, actually. And 
I'll be honest, like when they're happening, those saves in the second half, I'm sort of not really paying that much attention to them because at that point we're just losing and it's like, well, we just need to get back on the attack. They're kind of just a sort of perfunctory thing. But in the cold light of day after full time, when you've got the point, you realise that without those saves, you know, you're out of the game. Yeah. And uh, I feel like we're saying this every week at the moment, but, you know, they are, they are point-winning contributions. Well, as I, as I pointed out on the blog this morning, uh, our friend Orbino uh, tweeted yesterday uh, a stat that Arsenal have conceded... Hang on, where is this loading here? They've allowed 50 shots on target this season, which is more than Bournemouth at 48 and Watford at 46. So that's a lot wow. of shots. I'm not saying Czech has made all the saves and, and maybe, um, maybe there's a little more to it than that, but I think it's evidence that he is an important part of this uh, defensive record that we have because we've only conceded nine goals. I think United are, are, are leading the way with eight, but we've only conceded nine times. And, you know, still you have to convince people that this is a team that can defend or that has a, a good defensive record. You know, people will go, what? You know, there's this perception of Arsenal's defense being a bit weak or porous. And maybe that's evident uh, by the amount of shots that we're allowing on target. Um, but I think it speaks to the contribution that Czech is making. Mm, absolutely, mm. absolutely. It's a it's a massive it's a massive difference, and I think Arsene recognises that too. If you see the way he talks about Czech uh, in, in the build up to this game, mm. anything else um, um, tickle your fancy well, from the weekend or the game? Or I suppose just I wondered what your sort of feeling was at full time. You know, were you disappointed to have dropped two points, especially with Manchester City? dropping points at Aston Villa or were you primarily just relieved to have got away with something for after what was quite a, a poor performance? The second thing, really, to be honest, you know. Um, yeah. Overall, you can look at it and say, well, disappointing because it would have been a chance to go two points clear at the top of the table and it's always disappointing when we don't play as well as we can. But I think under the circumstances, the way that they played, the chances that they had, um, the difficulties that we had to 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 get into the game and to try and spark ourselves into life, the tiredness, the fatigue that's evident in a lot of players, and the fact that when you bring on a left back for an attacker in search of a goal, when he's the guy that gets you the goal, I think you've got to be reasonably pleased uh, with, with taking a point. What about you? Yeah, completely the same. I mean, you know, even when we were sort of chasing the win in the last few minutes, I had one eye on the other end of the pitch going, oh, I'd rather we just sort of played this <laughs> played this out now, you know, and took the point because I think given the paucity of quality in our performance, I thought it, a point was more maybe than we deserved. And, you know, obviously losing to Spurs is unpalatable. It means we keep pace with Manchester City. And as we've just talked about, we have actually got some opposition coming up who should be a little bit easier to face in the Premier League. So yeah. I think given how how exhausted our resources were at that point, I was I was very happy indeed to take take that point. Mm. There's always this thing when when we scored and we got the goal, it was like one one. I'm immediately hit with this nervousness. I don't know why, because you want yeah. to score and there's this nervousness that, oh God, well, 1-1 one, one now. We got, if we lose it from here, you know, even though you're already losing. But I have to say, after the game settled down again in a couple of minutes, I never felt like we were going we to concede again. So from that point of view, it, it felt relatively relatively comfortable in, in the final stages. So um, I think that's maybe a, a tribute to the guys and the way they dug in. And, and, and ultimately, when the goal went in and when we got that goal, I think Tottenham immediately felt tired. 
You know, they put a lot of work in. I think they felt the three games or in six days in those final 15 minutes. I think so too. I think so too. But, uh, you know, um, I don't necessarily think it was a particularly fair result, but let's call it one and uh, <laughs> let's be let's be mightily relieved to, to get it. All right. Okay. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with some of your questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. James, fire ahead. Fire ahead. Okay, I will fire ahead. Okay, I've, I've lined it up and, and fire it straight at you. Mm. Be careful. Yes. So the, I think this I think this is sort of a variation of this. It's probably the most common question we've had this week. But this this particular iteration of it comes from Ian Sandwell, at Ian underscore Sandwell. And he asks, all the Ks there. Very good. Given that he started as a winger, is Gibbs a viable option from the start if injuries don't improve? Well, yeah, if injuries don't improve, of course, because uh, we, we won't have much choice. Um, we have all the injuries. Yeah. Under normal circumstances, you would say no. You know, we go back to what we talked about with having uh, Alexis uh, fit and and fully on on his game. Danny Welbeck as an option. Aaron Ramsey, maybe not from the left-hand side, but Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, yeah. Theo Walcott, even, from the left. Um, he, he's played mm-hmm. a little bit there. So, under normal circumstances, No. Under the sort of circumstances where we don't really have any choice, of course, um, I, I would see him as a better option, for example, than uh, than Alex Iwobi. And this uh, this question, just to tie in with that, he says, hello, which is very, very polite hello. of him. Hello. He's in Kenya, so hello. hello. Hi. Is there more? Or is that it? Or? No, he does say hello. He says, hello, Andrew. He doesn't say hello, James. I, I presume it's just because I think it was just a character limit. Could have sure, said, sure, sure, yeah. Could have said, James's last characters, use that in future. <laughs> but he says, is it time we play Uwobi on the wing? Because I don't see Campbell doing much to convince. Um, but, I, you know, I think w- on that, it's a big risk to play someone like uh, Iwobi. Whereas if you do have Gibbs, at least he's got the experience. He's 26, 27 years of age now. Ideally, he's not going to play left wing for long, but he can do it in, in, a, in a short period of time. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, basically, I don't think it's a, an option. I don't think it'll have to be an option. Will it? I mean, after the international break, we should, I'm touching all available mm. wooden objects, we should have Oxlade-Chamberlain and Ramsey back available, which mm. should enable us to, you know, put them into those attacking wide positions and, and rotate a little bit even so. So I don't think we'll need it, but I guess... I guess it's good to know that it's there as an option. And Gibbs did pretty well yesterday. I was, I was very, well, I wasn't optimistic, let's say, when he came on about his ability to add to our attacking threat. But I think, you know, obviously he scored the goal and his energy did provide something. So mm. I, I thought he was I really good when he came on. Of sorts. I yeah. thought he was really good, yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, fair play to him. Because I, I, I've never necessarily, i never necessarily seen it as an offensive option you know he comes on in that position but it's usually just to help see out a win right you know yeah. just pr- protect Montreal a bit more um, but I suppose he's got pace uh, he's got pace and he has played that position in the past so I guess it is viable but I wouldn't be 
I wouldn't say he's one of the players who allows you to rest Alexis. Let's put it like that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. All right. Here's um, a question from. Um, or oh, did you have something more to say there? Or? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm going to go sort of two for two, only because you touched on it. Okay. Um, and John, who's at Ormy88, asked, "Has Joel Campbell done enough in these past three games to convince you he has a future at the club?" Um. I think what he's done is shown that he can be a useful squad player when we're in the kind of position that we're in at the moment. Um, I think one of the players, actually, might have been Gibbs himself, actually, who said, look, when it comes to the performance level of people like Debushi and Campbell, uh, who haven't really played all season and then have played essentially three games in a row, they've gone to Swansea, they've gone to Bayern, they've played then uh, North London Derby, that perhaps there's a, bit of a, there's a bit of a natural tail off there in terms of, in terms of their energy and their performance level. Um, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a first-team regular at Arsenal, but given the amount of injuries that we have, he's not a, he's not a bad guy to have around on the bench because where would we be without him yesterday? You know, who do you play on the right-hand side? You're forced literally into playing somebody like you might have had to play Arteta um, Arteta in midfield and push Cazorla out, which would have been a disaster anyway then because Cazorla was, was so unwell. So it's, it's yeah. just trying to find out, um, you know, how exactly he fits in. So, you know, people talk about having depth of squad or having no depth of squad, but, you know, he's, he's the deepest part of our squad and over the last few games has proved... Proved reasonably useful, I think. You? Yeah. Would you still have him behind Alex Oxlade Chamberlain in the pecking order? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think the manager certainly does. Um, but I think there's also perhaps something for Oxlade Chamberlain to take from the performances of Campbell since he's been given a go in the team, you know? Maybe he hasn't been hugely effective in all the games. He was very good against Swansea, I thought. He tried hard against Bayern. He tried hard again yesterday. Mm. Um, but there's something that, that Oxlade-Chamberlain can take from that, that he wasn't ever found wanting in terms of his effort or his defensive um, his defensive diligence or, or what he was supposed to do there. Um, maybe like Oxlade-Chamberlain, he was a little bit, little bit wasteful on the ball at times. Um, but you know, I would still see the ox as as preferable to to him at this moment. What do you think? I would agree. I would concur with you on 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 that. But I think it's. I actually think the gap is less wide than I might have imagined between the two. That's all. Just right now. But I think Ox has the greater potential. Certainly. Mm. Okay. Um, but yeah, Campbell's done okay, but not enough to make me feel like he's a starter or anything like that. But yeah. he's shown that he could be a useful squad member. And given the amount of injuries we're almost guaranteed to acquire, it's probably worth keeping him around. Yeah, Sure, sure. Okay, okay, here's one. Uh, this one comes from James Reeve at Reeve underscore James. And he says, is it almost impossible to play against a perfectly executed high-pressing game? Spuds and Poole have done this to us recently. Is it almost impossible? I don't know. I actually think that in Santi Cazorla, in most circumstances, we have a player who is more capable than most of counteracting that kind of game because he's got, you know, that perfect passing ability, the quick feet from deep midfield that allows him to escape those very tight pressing scenarios. I think the big problem we had yesterday was that 
he just couldn't couldn't do it. You know, we, we talked about him being ill, but he it, it really really interrupted the flow of our game, and it allowed Spurs to capitalise on that. And then when you replace Cazorla with somebody like Flamini at half time, obviously the technical level is not quite the same, so you can't escape from those scenarios in the same manner. So I actually think that it's not impossible, but you need a very specific skill set of player in order to do it and we were robbed of mm. the guy most likely to do it for us uh, on the day yesterday what what do you think i think that the best way to counter a high pressing system is with with with, um, with good passing safe passing and movement and i think that mm. ties into a what you're saying about Cazorla and b a team that's slightly tired there was one point i remember in the second half i think it was relatively early in the second half and Monreal had the ball around the halfway line and you could see him look forward looking for a pass looking for some movement looking for somebody to to come to him and look for the ball and he didn't find it and he had to go backwards and that then allows uh, the opposition to kind of press the center halves and the ball will go back to the goalkeeper and he pumps it long and then you're sort of in the 50-50 situation again um so i think a lot of a lot of being able to counter that system is uh, fresh legs and movement and assurance on the ball, and we didn't have that in the centre of the park. I thought Coquelin was was good um, yeah, because too. he did have he did have a lot to do. And w- one of the things that perhaps is overlooked in his game, people look at him and say, right, he can tackle. He he adds some snarl. He adds some bite, you know. But he is very good on the ball. I think he's much better on the ball than people give him credit for. Um, the mm. other week against Swansea, I think it was against Swansea, he had a 100% passing record and he had the kind of game where you didn't really notice him too much. You know, it wasn't that he was blunderbussing his way around midfield and, and, and snapping into tackles. He did a really quiet, effective job. And when we had the ball, he moved it and just gave it to Cazorla, gave it to whoever else, and he completed 100% of his passes. And it wasn't like he only made eight passes. It was like 45 or 48 passes, something like that. So... Um, but I think you need Cazorla and Coquelin to, to work in tandem um, to have a real chance of countering that ga- countering that press. We obviously didn't have that yesterday. That That's what made it more difficult. Yeah, there was one great passage of play where uh, Coquelin, I think he was sort of out on the left wing and he, I think he got the ball back and then he dribbled between or around about two or three Spurs players. Just showed really impressive close control. And I do think that because he's probably not because he's so different to a lot of the other players in the Arsenal midfield, mm. I do think that that skill level gets overlooked. But uh, yeah, he's clearly clearly gifted as well as uh, yeah. gnarled, as you say. All right, got another one? Um, yeah, this is interesting. We talked about the absence of Theo Walcott and how that might have affected the team. But uh, at Guna underscore Rafa asks, how important is Aaron Ramsey to the balance of this team? I think I think very important. Um, we missed him yesterday. You would say. I thought so. Yeah. I not not so. just from the right hand side either. This actually, I've got a question here as well. This comes from. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, okay, this comes from Marib Jerry at Marib underscore Jerry, and he wants to know: Is it time to retry the Ramsey Cockerland midfield pivot? Um, obviously, Cazorla had his, his problems yesterday, and, and I think they were more down to illness than unsuitability to that role. But, you know, if you do have Aaron Ramsey in your squad, then you've got somebody who can slot into that position uh, much more readily than, than somebody else. Um, so, yeah, I think, he's, I think he's a big miss, to be honest. 
Um, the right-hand side isn't his favorite position. You can see why, but he's still really effective there. You know, he does give yeah. us he does give us a lot. His movement is great. Uh, he's an attacking threat. Um, yeah, I, I think as much as anyone, we really miss him. I think defensively as well. Like, there's an extent to which he kind of does that Ray Parler job almost of sort of tucking in from the right hand side and supporting Coquelin and Cazorla, which mm. obviously someone like Joel Campbell isn't going to do. But at times when Ramsey plays, it feels like we move to a sort of a four-three-three, where the three is actually Coquelin, Cazorla, and Ramsey, and Özil is freed up to play further ahead, join up with Alexis in the striker. Mm. Um, it's not it's not a sort of symmetrical system, but Ramsey's tendency to be dragged in field and float inside actually kind of, I think, benefits Cazorla. He's kind of an extra minder for him in there. Yeah. Um, so I think we really missed him uh, against Tottenham and have done in the last few games. And increasingly, I do feel like, you know, as much as it's not his ideal position on, on the right-hand side, it, it does add... Uh, an important element of balance to the team and it's a, a really, really crucial role. So looking forward to having him back, really, obviously. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What have we got? Are you got a question now? Uh, yeah, I could do, I guess, even though I sort of worked another one in there, but hey. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you, you know, did. We did. We've done a lot of that today. We the, have. The questions are just flowing seamlessly one <laughs> to the other. <laughs> All right, this is uh, from Stephen Dowling, at Stephen Dowling 95. If you, if you could rest three players from the next set of internationals, who would it be? Alexis, straight away. Yeah. That would be the the obvious one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know after that. I don't know. Let me have a think. Um, is anyone springing to your mind? I mean, I'd probably... Cassiani? Yeah, maybe. Cazorla? Maybe. I, I mean, Cazorla I'd be tempted by after seeing what I saw yesterday. You know, I mean, the thing is, I thought of Bayern Munich, he didn't look right either. Um, so Cazorla would be in there for me. I mean, I'm tempted by Ozil just because you want to protect him, right? He because is being rested. Form. He is being He rested. is being rested. yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, Yogi Love has said, hey, news. hey, mess it, mate, just fucking chill out. You don't have to come. I know what you can do. Go hang out with your mates. Go crazy. Go to nightclubs. Is that Yogi Love has decided that? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's into it. He's saying, Thanks, Look, Yogi. Do, do, do what you want. Do what you want, man, because you need the rest. Those legs are special. Just, you know, get them rubbed by whoever you want to get them rubbed by. It'll be fine. Matthew Flamini, presumably. <laughs> this is brilliant news. I didn't know this at all. This is fantastic. I'm elated. Yeah, I'm glad to have made your day. You do sound significantly happier than when we started this podcast. I mean, genuinely, it's a real upturn in proceedings. Well, look, okay, so that's him crossed off. So Alexis, Alexis Koscielny, Kazola. I think they would be my three because they're, yeah. you know, Petr Cech. He doesn't need a rest, does he? Whatever anyone says, goalkeepers are okay. Um, fortunately, France don't seem to have realised that Francis Coquelin's any good yet. Long may that continue. Yeah, Monreal not um, back in the Spanish squad either, which is good. Bellerin, I think, still not. Is, is he he's in the injured. 21s, maybe? No, he's injured. He's injured, so he's of out, course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Matsaka's retired. I would rest Yiru, I have to say. Going back to the point that we made about freshness and everything else, I, I would be tempted to, to rest him. Um, because he's he's obviously going to play for France because I think Benzema is injured and obviously very busy blackmailing uh, other people and stuff like that. Apparently, so sure, 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 sure. So I, I would be um, tempted to to give uh, Giroud a rest simply because hey, so he's our you... only fit striker. 
you know. Who would you not rest who I had on my list then? Who would I not rest? Who are your Kashelny, maybe? Kashelny. I had Kashelny, Kazola, Alexis. Uh, I would be tempted not to rest Cazorla simply because Spain have a lot of good players, so there's a chance that Cazorla might not play sure. anyway. So yeah, maybe, maybe maybe he could just go away and get you know those nice um, those nice uh, things that he likes to eat, the Spanish mm. ham and the, the the pork thing that he likes. He could do that. He does. He likes this particular pork dish. I can't remember the name of it. It's delicious, though. It's like it's like a flattened out pork fillet with uh, with uh, with with ham and cheese and breadcrumbs, and you fry it. It's fucking delicious. I can't remember the name. It of sounds it. really good for you. It does. It's really tasty. Yeah. Hmm. So that would be that. Yeah. Right. So I would swap Cazorla out for Giroud, but the other two, I'd I'd wait. Uh, I'd I'd rest them because Gabriel is going away yeah. with uh, Brazil. He got called up to the Brazil squad. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice for mm. Sam, isn't it? Mm. Um, well, you might be right on that one, Drew, because we're not expecting Walcott back, are we, after the international break? He's no. a little bit behind. Yeah, there's a, his calf injury apparently is a bit more serious than first reported, and he's not going to be back until December. Mm. Mm. Upsetting. Yeah, well. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. One Here's more. Here's a big question. Okay. Okay. One more. You, this is the last one. Okay. This, well, this no, no, well, just saying one more, one more, one more. Who knows where it might go? Okay. We could do a, a three-hour podcast today. Who knows? Who knows? Keep listening, guys. James Black at Rex Thunder asks, if ants <laughs> were the size of cats, right? Yeah. Would humans still rule the world? Well, it would... Fuck. That would be quite terrible. It's a good question, isn't it? Because he's not saying if they're the size of a car, you know, which I think we'd be like, well, no, they, they'll take over. But if they're the size of cats, it's kind of a sort of somewhere in between, isn't it? Yeah, but you know what makes ants really effective is the fact that you, you don't see them for the most part. So you don't notice ants unless you've got some ants in your living room or what have you. Um, and then you go, oh, look, there's a line of ants. Where are they going? And then you kind of follow the line of ants and you can figure out how to, to fix the problem. But ultimately, ants exist out in the out in the world, out in nature, and they're teeny tiny. Despite their incredible strength uh, and everything else, they exist in anthills and they go underground and they, you know, they, they have their colonies and, and everything else. So that, I think, works to their advantage because nobody gives a fuck about ants because they just say, well, ants are cool. They're, you know, let them do their ant stuff. However... If ants were the size of cats, they would be far more noticeable. They'd be carrying off children on their backs, because we know that ants can carry like a hundred thousand times. Five thousand times their body weight. Yeah, apparently. exactly. So if you've got a... If you've got a cat a, weighs about four kilograms. Yeah, so you're talking about an ant being able to lift tons. They could be going off with cars and, uh, and all kinds of motorboats just going along, you know. People's, Elephants. People's, <laughs> yeah, people's possessions would be gone. So I think then there would there would be a fight back. That would be the thing. It would be like that movie, Starship Troopers. Remember? Yeah. Those as far as I cool. That's basically what that film's about. Yeah, gigantic sort of space ants. But I think they were more like they had um, claws and stuff. But anyway, yeah. I think if ants were that size, there would be a concerted effort to wipe out ants. And well, would ant spray still work? I don't know. You'd probably just need loads of it though. Rather than one sort small of, you know, tin. crop dusting it. Yeah, you'd, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, whatever about the size of ants and their ability to carry 
things and elephants around, they wouldn't be able to withstand machine guns and flamethrowers. It's the number, though, that would be the problem because there are literally millions and billions and billions and billions of ants. So if all of a sudden all the ants in the world became cat-sized, I think we'd have big problems because the earth would be churned up. I think buildings would collapse, all kinds of... I mean, imagine, there's an anthill in your garden with millions of ants, thousands of ants, and they're tiny. You don't care. But the minute they become cat-sized, you know, your garden would just be full of gigantic ants. So I think there could be yeah. there could be an effect on human society. I think many humans would die if, if the ants were... Um, then decided that they wanted to eat humans, uh, mm. which we don't know. I mean, they might just be into eating leaves and shit like that, like they normally do, and grubs and what have you. But who, who, you this know. is the thing we don't really know. They, they're so secretive, usually ants. Yeah, yeah, they don't have an agenda, you know, um, posted online or anything. That's that's the, the thing, thing. Is for so long, humans and ants have lived together in peace. It would be a shame for that all to come crashing down. Yeah, I mean, it would be good if we could perhaps align with the ants to take mm. out a common a common enemy, like Chelsea yeah. or wasps. <laughs> wasps, I think, would be good. Wasps are absolute cunts. They really are the worst. Wasps and dolphins. Did... Dolphins, no, I'm telling you, you're wrong about dolphins. Oh, no, fuck off. Dolphins are the worst. Why? They're so happy. Look at their little happy faces. They don't. They only want you to think that they're happy. They're planning <laughs> shit, man. Dolphins are up to something. They're really up to something. I'm convinced of it. You know, right. I don't trust yeah, them they, one bit. You can't trust them. Too clever. Yeah, too clever by half. So I wouldn't. Okay, I wouldn't trust well. the dolphin at all. You know, regardless. I mean, if a dolphin came to me with a business opportunity, I would think twice before investing any of my own money. It would probably be like a timeshare or, or one of those pyramid schemes. You know. What about a massive ant approached you with a business opportunity? Well, it would depend on what it was. You know, I'm a very conscientious uh, person, so I'd want it to be something that was good for society as a whole. So if he came to me and said, look, this is a way that we could we could make um, starving children not starving, and not like that guy who got that drug that cures AIDS and put it up by a billion pounds, you know, whatever that no. So maybe, maybe if he was not that guy, I, I would be happy to discuss it with an ant, but not with a dolphin or a wasp or Chelsea. If you're wondering at home, this is the three-hour podcast, and it is now quite a lot later than when you started listening. Um, <laughs> but we have at least solved this whole ant-dolphin issue. Yes, we certainly have. Okay, I've got one final question. Uh, it comes Go from on, Richard Pike at Richie underscore J279. And he wants to know, uh, okay. you're a billionaire intent on buying a Premier League club to be the next city. I guess he means Manchester City, that kind of investment. Right. Which club would you pick? Not AFC. So you're not allowed to pick Arsenal. Who would you pick if you so were I'm a billionaire? So buy a club that I can just put money into, basically. Yep. Um, and, well, I don't know. Um I'm looking up and down the league table. Mm. It would depend I mean, what your ambition is. Teams. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Nobody said you have to make them a success, right? So why couldn't you? Uh, why couldn't you just uh, pick Tottenham? That do, would be quite funny. Do what you want to, because the the scale of their failure would only be amplified by the nature of their resources. Mm. 
Um, so you could buy spurs and then just fuck with them. Mm, yeah, like untouchably. It would be amazing. You could do whatever you wanted. Hire whatever. Well, I think we know who you'd hire as manager. Well, he'd be straight in. He'd be straight in, Tiger Tim. Welcome back, Tim. That'd be an incredible <laughs> unveiling. Um, I'd Tim, sign Tim, Tim and, and I'd new, let him have... <laughs> new captain uh, Emmanuel Adebayor. <laughs> yeah. Club captain, yeah, straight yeah, in. Yeah. The dream team. Yes. Um, what about the stadium? Where would I put the stadium? Because they want a new ground, don't they? Well, I mean, I think I think they they uh, I think they they have to stay where they are because you want you want it to impact them in, in the biggest way possible. But rather than sure. rather than put in sixty thousand seats or whatever they do, put in twenty thousand really big seats and insist that only one person can sit on each one. Nice. So everyone's quite far apart. Yeah. Really far apart. You've got a full stadium every time because they'd still have 20,000 fans coming every week uh, until such time as we really got to town on on the, the playing squad. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And then you'd, then you'd, have, to, uh, then you'd have to do things like um, do sort of commercial deals with the most reprehensible people in the world or the, most, the worst brands, you know, that kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what could you have on the shirt? Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Yeah. Um, like, uh, Canon. You'd have to do a deal with Canon, right? Canon, Canon that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. have been some great bad uh, sponsors as well down the years. Um, Bimbo was a good one in Spain. <laughs> it's, a, it's a brand of bread. Oh, God, have you ever eaten uh, that bread? Yeah, it's not really bread, is it? No, it lasts for months. It's fucking terrible. It's, I think they take it into space. Yeah, it, it's like one of the only sliced breads that you can buy in Spain. But you look at the, the you know, you buy a, a, a sliced bread here and it says whatever date it is today, it's the 9th of November and it'll say best before the 14th of November. And even after two or three days, you know, the bread only then becomes good for toasting. Don't go there. But um, the bimbo stuff, it lasts forever, forever. It is strange. It is Bizarre. strange. Um, and what about the transfer window when that came around? I mean, obviously, obviously, you'd immediately sell off any players they had any affection for, yeah. like Harry Kane, yeah. to to anyone. Um, but who would you be looking to recruit? I mean, I guess you just want to assemble the most, the most expensive, hideous. yeah, but the most expensive yeah. squad of all time. So you want to pay like twenty five million pounds for Joey Barton, you know, nope. that kind of way. That's it. That's it, yeah. I mean, Arta Boric, for example, the Bournemouth goalkeeper. I'd be, I'd be lodging a thirty million bid for him. Yeah. Early doors. <laughs> exactly. He, Chris Samba be... in at centre half. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Um, to be fair, Manuel Abue is a free agent, so <laughs> that would maybe, really maybe get him on board. Yeah, they'll love to see him dancing away <laughs> as the goals fly past him. Um, so yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Buy Spurs, take them apart from the inside. Absolutely, absolutely wreck them. Yeah, that would be what I would do. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Great fun. Brilliant. Well, look, um, thanks to everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, here we are again. If you uh, want to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, please do. That'll be good. Good ones, though. Yeah, good ones. Not bad ones. Ideally. Ideally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. 
Ideally. Yeah. So um, well, we'll be back. There's an interlull now, so we'll be back next Monday with a with an interlull Arsecast Extra. What are we going to talk about? I can't believe we did the ants thing this week. I know. <laughs> we'll have to... We'll, Blew we'll, it. Yeah, we'll figure something out. Oh, just one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, this is uh, something for the listeners. Mm. We, need, we need your help. Like, if we were going to compile a best of the Arscast Extra, you know, the best questions or the best bits and what have you, what are the bits that we should include there? Because I've kind of forgotten what we've done in 92 episodes. Me too, big time. So if anyone has a favourite bit or a, a question that was great or an answer that was great or a, a, a nonsense bit that was great that you'd like to hear again in some kind of compilation, just hypothetically speaking, if we were thinking of putting that together, tell us, please, what's the bit that we should uh, we should include. Send it to us, uh, I guess, on Twitter, uh, at GunnarBlog or at ArsBlog, or you can email me, thearsblog at arsblog.com. So that'd be, that'd be greatly appreciated as well. Yeah, that'd yeah. be brilliant. All right. Uh, okay, so look, we'll be back next Monday with another Arscast Extra. Until then, have yourselves a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>